Welcome back, everyone, to the House of Hustle podcast here on Sports Radio 810. We are presented, as always, by our friends at Charlie Hustle. Be sure to head over to charliehustle.com to get stocked up on all your new, fresh, vintage gear. We are also sponsored by our new uh, sponsor, Capital Investment Management. Um, Our thanks to David Garrison and everybody over at Capital Investment Management. I'm your host, Jared Sutton. Kind of weird to say that because I'm here joined by my co-host, Stephen St. John, who, Stephen, I know you're a little under the weather, but you know you were questionable. You were maybe doubtful to start the week. We didn't know if we were going to be able to get a podcast in, but here you are. You're sounding better, right? You're sounding better. Yeah, you know, I, I feel good. People yeah. keep saying, I hope you, you know, you're sick or hope you get better. I just, I have vocal cord damage. And so I have uh, a growth on my vocal cords. And so I'm under the... Uh, care of a throat specialist and I've taken all kinds of medication and it's just going to take a long time to to heal and so I'm supposed to load management and load management that's right so load management is what we're going I think you should be our hustler of the month is what I think you're saying you know you know just playing through mental physical toughness Yeah. yeah so we got a lot to cover it's been a little while and our last podcast um had a great interview with with Melvin Booker I loved uh getting his perspective on just the game today and obviously uh, his son, who's just an absolute superstar in the NBA. Uh, but college basketball, here we are, late February. Got a couple weeks left of league play, closing up the regular season. And then it's conference tournament time. And then all of a sudden, here we are, March Madness. And in Kansas City, obviously the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, playing into early February. Um, we're still following, I think, here at Kansas City, the local schools in the Big 12. Obviously, um, Creighton and Nebraska, uh, I would consider somewhat local schools. They're having good years um, in, in the hoops world, um, Missouri, not so much, but, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll discuss. there's nothing going on in Columbia right now, you know, nothing to talk about really. But anyway, we are, uh, we're excited about what's in store for, for the college basketball slate here as we get down this home stretch. I'll tell you what I want to start with, um, is Caitlin Clark. Ooh, yeah. Because, you know, she becomes D1's leading scorer all time. And she did it when she dropped, you know, 49 points against Michigan, hit a three from the logo. Of course she did. That's how she breaks the record. But I've, I've been interested to hear all the response to the comments from uh, from Jay Williams. Yeah. He said he, you know, he, he she can't be a great player. He doesn't consider her a great player without winning a championship. I mean, she took a team all the way to the national championship game. And immediately the first person I thought of to combat that argument, and then I saw some other people bring it up, that I think it just kills the argument. Larry Bird. Yeah. So was Larry Bird, and I'm just talking about in college, was he not a great college player? He put Indiana State on his back and carried them to the national championship game and just happened to lose to Magic Johnson to Michigan State. But I think anyone will tell you, Larry Bird's one of the greatest college basketball players, and that season was one of the greatest college basketball seasons you'll ever see. Then he went on to greatness and a Hall of Fame career. But I I, just – it I – that bothers me because I think about so many great, and I use the word great, college basketball players yeah. that just didn't win a national championship. And I don't think that takes away from, from their greatness. Uh, and so I wanted to talk about how great yeah. Caitlin Clark is because to watch what she's done for basketball, for the interest in basketball, and I'm not just saying this, and this has nothing to do with Missouri being winless in conference, Jared, so... Mm-hmm. We'll leave that It up. might have a little bit to do with it, but not that much. I can legitimately say I'm more excited to watch Caitlin Clark in Iowa in the NCAA tournament than Excellent. I am versus any other team, men's or women's, to see 
if she can get there and win, get to the Final Four again and win a championship, yep. or, or to see her, you know, drop forty five. She's must watch. I mean, she's kind of like set your DVR, if you will, entertainment as a basketball player. Um, I am disappointed of what Jay Will has said. Some coaches have said that I really, you know, respect. Um, that are you know players that really grew the women's game too, whether it be coaches, former players. Because end of the day, she's making women's basketball. She's she's growing the game on the women's side. She's the face of the sport, in my opinion, right now. Um, the WNBA is not in action, so she is women's basketball. And I think sometimes that can really get under some people's skin, maybe. Of she's a bigger star than any college men's oh, basketball player. NIL from an NIL standpoint. You know, she's off the charts. She's at the very top of the list. <laughs> Who would you say is so, the face of men's college basketball or the, the most popular I player? I know. It's tough. I mean, especially when you talk about, like, talent to popularity. You know, there's some young players that are, are really emerging. But it, you really – it could be – it depends on who you ask, right? right? And There's no name you can even compare to. Yeah, that. exactly. I think if you ask five different people, you have five different answers on the men's side. But we're, I think anybody associated with the game of basketball, men or women, are watching this and just amazed at what she's doing. I wouldn't say surprised because the buy-in for me was when she was a freshman and sophomore jumping on the – you know, freshman year, she was, you know, a big-time score, 27-point-per-game score. But when I look at a great player, I look at efficient – our game is efficiency, right? That's the name of the game is consistency, efficiency, your splits, your production. Um You've seen teams, Stephen, that win championships that are great teams. They have depth. They have, you know, talent up and down their roster. Usually that's what's going to get you across in the NCAA tournament to win, you know, that many games to get on top of the mountaintop, to get through the first week and the second weekend, get to a Final Four, and ultimately win it. But when you talk about her usage, how much she has to do for her team, she it's is incredible. not just a scorer. That's what's fascinating about that game her. Against Michigan, would she have fourteen assists? Yes, and she. But it's defensively, she's averaging close to two steals a game. Uh, she rebounds the ball at a high level. She's close to seven rebounds a game. She's been consistent in that. She averaged eight rebounds as a sophomore. Her production line, if you just pull up her four years, How tall is she? she's about six feet. Yeah. I think she's maybe six feet, five eleven, six feet tall. Right. Um, really good athlete. I don't think she's like the most you know, dynamic athlete, but her skill level is just off the charts. Um, she does things that, quite frankly, are like modern-day advanced skill. You know like, how they used to say, you, 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 you know, you got to guard him when he walks into the gym. Absolutely. You have to guard her every place on the floor. And she does stuff where you're like, I think the defense has no idea what they're dealing with. Like, they can watch her on film. Yeah. But then once you're actually on the floor in it, I think that's when you start to appreciate maybe, wait, she's totally different than anything we've seen. I know the shot that broke the record, just a pull-up logo. And most people would say, oh, well, that's a bad shot. Well, she can make that shot. She has expanded, extended range. She reminds me of Steph, for sure, of the Davidson years. Um, now, that team was was solid. There were pieces around Steph. Steph really couldn't do it on his own, but he got close. And they got close to beating Kansas when he was in the tournament. That last year he was at Davidson when he was just putting up all sorts of numbers. Um, the thing about Steph was a lot of his stuff was mostly like him in actions, like trying to get him the ball in every way to score, to shoot. Um, with Caitlin, like she's just a playmaker. Like she, she just does everything. She can pass, she can score, she can shoot. Um, all sorts of defenses are like blitzing and doubling her. She can split with like her ball handling is so advanced. 
So I appreciate you starting the podcast with this because she is the talk college basketball, and I'm with you. Like, I'm going to be watching every game in the tournament oh, yeah. that she's in. And wait. I remember last year, um, it was the women's Final Four, their semifinal game. I was at a, a dinner with a few guys, scouts with some other teams. It was great. And I remember there was a TV behind me, and I'm talking, I, I, you know, and this guy keeps looking up, you know, over me mid-conversation. Finally, he stops the conversation. He's like, guys, I'm going to be honest. She's abs- This girl playing right now is absolutely incredible. Who is this? And I'm like, it's Kaylin Clark. Like, so we just stopped the dinner and just watched her, her play. That's how good she is. I think she's an incredible role model for young players, too. You know, you have daughters and... Oh, yeah. There's a lot of girls that are falling in love with bass. We, we interviewed Sophie Cunningham, and I just think this is great for the game, and I feel like she needs, like, let's, let's embrace her in this moment. Like, we're, I hope we'll see another player like her caliber in the college women's game, but what she's done is all time. It's, it's moments we'll look back on when she's a pro in her WNBA career, and I, I would love to see her in the, you know, we just saw Sabrina Inescu and, and Steph in the three-point competition. I'd love to see her in it with Dame and maybe, you know, add to that. I think that was for, I hate to say it, as I think embarrassing as the All-Star game was for the, for the NBA, I would love to see us get back to the three-point shooting in the dunk contest, but if we're going to try to get creative – she needs to be a part of, you know, because that's what people want to watch and see. It's it's just, it's remarkable what she's doing. I think one of my favorite things about her is as as someone that coached his daughters, my daughters in, in grade school, and, you know, one plays high school basketball now, you're always looking for those examples about how hard you want them to play, right, mm-hmm. or with, mm-hmm. what level of intensity. And it's not always easy um, because, you know, you can say it, but it's easier to show it. And it's 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 like when we watch her play, I, I look at my girls. And go, That's exactly what I'm talking about. Look at her edge. Mm-hmm. Look at her competitive fire. Look at her confidence. Look at everything. That's what I'm talking about. And it's, it goes past just all of her skill set and everything else. She's just got that 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 certain, you know, like like Mahomes has, mm. that, that, you know. And and I, and I love the fact that if, hey. She's a lifelong Chiefs fan. That's right. And she's not a bandwagon. Plenty of pictures floating around of her wearing <laughs> Chiefs gear when she was a kid. So she's part of Chiefs Kingdom. So we welcome her. Yep. Absolutely. Open arms. I, I think too, Stephen, to add to that, in just watching her games, it's easy to get stuck into again. I go back to her shooting and scoring because it's just incredible to watch her. Like her step back shooting, her one footed shooting. Uh, she can go either blah blah blah. All, all her ability, all her talent level and skill level. I think can get lost in how she can create and go score and score at such a high clip. She shot 39% in each of the last two seasons. You imagine having to guard her. 48% for the field. I mean, it's not like she's taking bad shots. Like, I love when people are like, oh, she gets all the shots. She has to be aggressive to score for her team. That's her role. The fact that her assist numbers are still close to nine assists a game, and I know she has four turnovers here and there. But she, her usage, that is such – I don't think people understand how hard that is when you have to have the ball in your hand all the time. And her teammates love her. Like, that's my favorite thing about it is when, she's, when she broke the record. It's, I don't think there's a selfishness to her at all. I think she's very unselfish. I think she's a very winning player. But she's also the best player. Yeah. <laughs> and she's got to find that balance. And that's what you have to do in basketball is find that. If you're the best player and you want to win and win at a high level – and look, there's probably some other teams that are deeper that have would more, need her more to position do that, that would yeah, yeah, where she can maybe maybe it's different. This is just the scenario and the situation that she's in, 
and it's incredible. And it's not, again, like she's a volume player. She's just not. She's a very efficient, effective player, and she makes tough shots. And yeah. and that's that's just it's amazing to watch watch her play. And 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 you know when when people say selfish, I mean like if if they were a, a struggling five hundred team, yeah. and it was just all about her putting up points. I so, you know what? That might be a little bit selfish. They're they're suffering. No, right. They went to the right. national championship game. They're they're going to be a number one seed. That's what they need her to do to be successful. Yeah. If she wasn't, if if she if she, you know, wasn't that aggressive offensively, they they wouldn't be as good as they are. Yeah. She played, you know, for the, she played for South Carolina or LSU. She wouldn't have to do that because there'd be more talent around her. Right. And know? and I think another thing that kind of gets lost too is she has gotten better like each year. You know, I, I know, like, she was great last year. Don't get me wrong. Like, she was incredible. But she's added a little bit more, too. Like, her different shot making off, you know, both feet, uh, her finishing around the rim. Like, she's crafty and more creative. Her ability to play with different paces to her game. Like, she's added more and more. And it's little stuff, but it's little stuff that is allowing her to just be a little bit more efficient. Her scoring is up by five points per game. Her assists are right around the same as it was. Um, turnovers have gotten a little high, but um, all in all, I mean, even defensively, she's, her IQ, her feel, her instincts, her anticipation, like all those things are just so high level. Um, she's a superstar. There's no other way to say it. And, and for people that want to poke holes in her, I get that that's just kind of a part of <laughs> the sports world. Sometimes we're always trying to find stuff. There's not much to find with her, in my opinion. I, I just don't know how someone could have the opinion of, well, she takes all the shots. And this is coming from, you know, someone around the game, right? I don't want to name names, but like there's comments that are out there that yeah. are like, hang on now. Let's not let's not go there. Let's let's celebrate what she's doing because it's incredible what she's doing. And now you're starting to see other players that she competes against that maybe had that little bit of, I don't know, not jealousy, but just kind of, you know, uh, is this person is this player that good? They're now giving her all credit, you know, and they're, that that says a lot when your opposition and your opponent it's is like tipping the their cap. Player. Exactly, you're like, hey, she she's incredible. Her. She's incredible. So, so now uh, you were at this unbelievable game between Creighton and mm. UConn, where I think it's Creighton's first ever victory over an AP number one team. Yep, and UConn came in number one in the nation and looking just unbeatable. Creighton puts it on him and wins by 19. But, you know, I don't ask normal questions. The first question I have to ask you, at any point did Dan Hurley threaten to knock you out <laughs> or scream at you for any reason? No. Okay, well. Um, there was – I was with um, a guy on our staff. There was a lot of heavy uh, NBA presence at this game. It was, it was great. Um, atmosphere was off the charts. Con congrats to Creighton and all their fans in Omaha. They were awesome. But there was so many moments in this game where – I kept watching Hurley and think, oh, my gosh, he's so close to getting tossed. Like, he's he's right there on the cusp. At one point, he was near half court and ran all the way back to his bench to hide behind one of his assistants. So he, he did. He's, oh, he's I saw it. These kids have it. <laughs> I saw I'll tell it. you that right now. Yeah. Well, you know, Bob Knight's looking down right now thinking, this is my guy right here. So this you, were, you, were thinking, <laughs> you were thinking he's – He's going to have a hard time getting out of here without getting thrown out of the game or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the game wasn't going his his way. And, and Creighton was outstanding. Like, you can call, you know, I don't. I think the officiating was, was good. Um, this was just Creighton being great. 
or times Harley was just trying to get on officials. I think he was trying to, you know, kind of motivate his team a little bit um, in that second half and try to show some fire. But there was just not much to go. Creighton just shot. I mean, they were close to 60% from the three. Uh, Steven Ashworth, their transfer was awesome. I mean, Baylor Shireman, I don't think scored until like the eight minute mark of the second half. Um, I think he was a little bit under the weather and he was coming off a 27 and 10 game and is one of their best players, six, uh, eight combo wing. Um, and he didn't really get going in the second. Trey Alexander was in foul trouble in the second half. He got going at the start of the second half. Ryan Kolkbrenner kind of set the tone at the beginning of the game, but it was really all their role players for Creighton that stepped up and were outstanding. Mason Miller hit some threes. Um, all in all, Coach McDermott and his staff, game plan-wise, it was it was excellent. Um, their actions, their pace, they played in transition. Um, yeah, they made shots. It was a big part of the game, but they're, a, they're kind of a machine offensively. It's such a fun style to play in. It's a five-out. It's space. They can put Kolkbrenner on the block. Uh, but he can play out on the perimeter, so it opens up the floor. Steven Ashworth was such a great get for them because Trey Alexander can play some point and playmake, which he's been so much better as a playmaker. Um, and give Steven Ashworth a ton of credit, like a transfer from Utah State who was such a really good player, and uh, I think he had 18 points in the first half and, and just really set the tone. And uh, UConn, I think, has all the ability to repeat. Let me just say that. I think they're a great team. Um, I know a lot's been made of their record on the road against ranked opponents. I think it's 0 for their last 21 um, mm -hmm. in, against ranked opponents. There's something to that a little bit. Um, but I think in terms of a, a, we just touched on, like how they won it last year was based around their depth, uh, their bench. They had guard play. They have a big in Donovan Klingon who is a seven-footer that can rim protect and finish. They have shooting. Alex Caravan, one of the best shooters in the Big East. Um, Tristan Newton is an older guard that can score. Um, Cam Spencer is a great lead guard. I, th they have so many pieces to do it again. Um, so this is a great win for Creighton, and it should be about Creighton. They were excellent. They needed this win. They're a top 15 team, too. I still think Creighton, when they're good, they could go on a run in March and be a Final Four team. I, I, I don't With their style of play and the players that – they have if their bench gives them even a half of what they gave them uh in the Yukon win I think they'll be right there for a chance in March too you want to talk about Missouri for a minute or let's no? do it okay. why not we got we got to I know you're dying to you know? so I mean Dennis Gates dropped an f-bomb yeah in his uh post-game press conference after the loss to number five Tennessee yep stop me if you heard this before but uh, Mizzou had a lead and they blew it and then uh they fell apart yeah late uh, just as they uh, had the game before at Ole Miss when they had a nice lead and they blew it and fell apart late. That's that's happened a lot. And yeah. so, like, you look at yeah. it like, well, maybe they're not that far off because they're being competitive, but also, good God, can you not fall apart in one of these games? And so you could sense this frustration. I liked it because instead of, uh, I think I think some fans have gotten tired of him, uh, you know, pumping up, Whatever team beats them, you know, yeah. you know, hey, hey, that was a really great team. They're going to be an NCAA. You know, not everyone's a great team. Yeah, right. Uh, and then he exactly. complains about the officials a lot. It was good to hear him to say, "Look, we suck at this. We're we're effing terrible at drawing fouls." Mm -hmm. And that also was, I mean, to me, there, there's layers there. If you're not one to draw fouls, that means you're not being aggressive enough. That means you're being lazy, settling for jump shots. Uh, I think it's also questioning your your toughness too. Mm -hmm. You know, and your and your and your willingness to create contact. And so by saying that, that's calling out his team on a lot of different levels, right? 
I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I feel like this is Dennis Gates for the first time really letting out some frustration. Um, I had some some friends back. It felt like a little bit Patrick Mahomes letting go of the Kadarius Tony stress of this. You know, kind of similar to there's a lot of built up anger and frustration of the season. Might have vented, you know, towards the media to let some steam out. Do you think it had anything to do with the AD that hired him? <laughs> I think that could be it. That I know he was caught off guard about, um, which is not fun when you're right. a coach. And which, by the way, I I think Dennis Gates. I heard I, I've I've heard Dennis Gates say this so many times of when discussing Desiree Reed Francois always would say she gets it, she gets it. She hired him, and she. She was excellent in terms of being at the cutting edge of NIL uh, facilities. You go to a Mizzou basketball game, the in-game experience is so much better <laughs> than what it used to be. She's done so much. So a quick tip of the cap right. to Desiree and all the work she did. For him, though, it's it's the unknown. You don't yes. know who your next boss is going to be. Yep. Maybe he likes you. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't. But it's not going to be the same sense right. of security he had with uh, DRF. And on top of that... You know this, many times when an AD comes in, they'd like to hire their own guys. Yeah. I think Dennis Gates should certainly get another year, but I believe, unfortunately for him, the equity they built up with that 25-1 season to start off, that's that's gone now. So yeah. at, at best, it's kind of canceled out, and and hopefully for him, he can start with a clean slate. But I don't know how a, a new AD will feel about if it ends up 0-18. Yeah. That, that's not a great look. Right. The results speak for themselves, and that's always what you're going to be judged on. Um, coaches know that. It's just part of it. it you know, you're going to be judged off the win and, wins and losses. Now, you do have to kind of dive into those, and I think you look at both seasons under Dennis Gates. So year one is a great success. 25 wins. They were a 12-win team, I believe, the year before that. They had five wins in league play. Dennis Gates in year one it finishes top four in the SEC. They overachieved. Uh, Kobe Brown was a totally different player um, under Dennis Gates in year one. Ended up being a first-round pick. Um, completely changed how he played, his demeanor, his approach to the game, his confidence, his aggressiveness, the whole bit. Um, that, to me, was a lot of Dennis Gates, and Dennis Gates was a big part of keeping Kobe. I know Kobe was through and through a Mizzou guy, but he did have some I mean, opportunities to go into the portal and seek out NIL, and I think Coach Gates really did a nice job of really painting the picture and the vision of what Kobe could be um, in his system. And just philosophically, Coach Gates is a very much a modern-day thinker. He values a three-point shot. Um, he does value you know, having depth, um, playing a lot of guys. Now, sometimes the rotations can be a question mark, but I think that has a lot to do with this year, the personnel being a lot different than last year. I know they have Sean East and Nick Honor and Noah Carter back, and they were on the tournament team from year one. But Demoy Hodge is one of the best players on that team. Um, he came from you know a, a mid-level school to Mizzou and then flourished in the SEC. Um, should have been a first-team All SEC defender. Was one of the more lethal shooters in the SEC and in college basketball, and changed how they played because they had a match of Demoy and Kobe that could that could play off of each other, and then everybody else had a role to play. And flourished in that. This year, it's been different. And and they have been banged up. There's no excuse. The Caleb Grill, John Tanji injuries were real. That's unfortunate because I do think those two guys were older. Um, Caleb Grill was their best rebounding guard. I mean, you talk about free throws for Mizzou being a problem. Their rebounding has been a problem uh, for the last two years. Th that needs to be addressed as well. But where we sit 
I compare this Mizzou situation to kind of Eli Drinkwitz in football, where what we really rest assured with Eli before this run to the, you know, going meeting Ohio State was he was recruiting so well. A lot of that is him uh, and his ability to connect with a recruit. Dennis Gates is the same way. Obviously, the Mizzou NIL situation has been great for the school, uh, both football and basketball. Um, that, to me, is good. They're, they're identifying talent. They're in on guys. They've signed guys. This freshman class coming in next year is, is a big part of what you hope will change next year. He'll still have to hit the portal. He'll still have to find guys and find talent. He did that with Tamar Bates. I know Tamar hasn't, you know, he's, he's struggled a little bit of late. But Tamar Bates has been pretty good in, over a chunk of the season uh, coming from Indiana. And I haven't been overly excited about this year's freshman class. Yeah. Because yeah. you would you would like to think that okay, winless conference season or last place, did they develop some freshmen? Did some freshmen get better? Do you feel better? And 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 like no, and yeah. that's that's to me is yeah, uh, that sucks. That's a valid concern. That's my concern too. Yeah. I tell people this that ask me. I don't care if Mizzou wins a conference game at this point. Like, I, it doesn't bother. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me. Good. What, <laughs> I know. The, but what does what, what what I do care about is. The freshmen and some of these younger guys developing. I don't care if I gain five pounds at this point. <laughs> I mean, okay. what's 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 a couple more weeks of lo- losing, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's so much is made well the, the record, and it, it's not been a great year. Yeah, it hasn't been a great year, and I think some of the things they thought they could maybe squeak by with this year just didn't pan out. Um, Shawnee, Snick, Honor, and Sean's been great, but you're talking about these guys taking a leap of being in a role last year to being more of a focal top three option. It hasn't been that that great, and and they've they've had great games. Like Sean's had games here and there where he's been great. Um, it's good to see Noah Carter play well, but the reality is is like they cannot put consistent stretches together over forty minutes to the point of they have leads there in games. Like they have been competitive a, a month ago. I was thinking, well, they're in these games. Like some of their some of these losses, they were in, they had an overtime loss. They had a loss late final minute where they're in the game. They're in the game against Tennessee. They're in the game against Kentucky. They're in the game against Kansas. That's mental. And no, and it's just sort of like the wheels just kind of fall off because they don't have a guy like Des Moines or Kobe. It's very much centered around, unfortunately, just personnel. And the young guys, like Anthony Robinson was playing a lot at the beginning of the year. I had a lot of high hopes for Anthony Robinson. His minutes are scattered. Uh, Trent Pierce isn't even playing. And Trent Pierce was a guy I loved coming into this year. He was 6'8", long combo wing shooter like that fits and he hadn't really played a lot Jordan Butler starting his minutes fluctuate um I don't know what's going to happen with those, those freshmen Aiden Shaw's in the same conversation even though he's a sophomore you know what's what's his trajectory now um those are all those are all valid I do think the the, the whole conversation around Kobe and Des Moines because I think Des Moines got so much better and became the player he did under Dennis Gates too um Trey Gomillion was a like a big piece of the culture that was you know the leadership piece last year, and they're they're just missing those voice. They're missing those those guys mentality wise of just you know how the makeup of that team was. It was just different year one to year two. There's more pressure now on year three without a doubt, and it it does come down to what is this offseason going to look like and how you can change not only change roster who you're going to keep around. You got to keep that freshman class intact, and then that freshman class is going to come in. A lot of those guys are going to have to play. Like Marcus Allen is going to have to play right away. He's that good of a defender. Um, you know, a lot of like um, the, a lot of their premier, like Barrett. I, I think he could be a, a starting point guard type of role. Um, 
yeah, it, it's just it's it's unfortunate the year has gone the way it, it has gone. Botang um, will have to be their one of their best players next year. There's no doubt about it. he's a freshman, but he's got all the ability in the world, and they're going to have to center around that and build around that. And that all comes back to the coaching piece of this of when you're putting your roster together and you're recruiting and you're looking at guys. I I tell you this all the time about Mike Anderson. Like he would go out and recruit guys, and there were certain guys every wanted him to go after, and it was always like he's not going to go after those guys because they don't fit how he plays. They right. don't fit his system at all. He's going to f- identify players that fit how he wants to play. Dennis Gates has to think that way a little bit right now, too, and, and, and it's going to be a big offseason. There's no doubt about it. All right, let's uh, check out the Big 12 here uh, a little bit. Houston got a big win over Iowa State on Big Monday. Yep. Although Iowa State was more competitive than a lot of teams have been down at Houston. Um, Kansas won at Oklahoma, and so that was big because they've struggled on the road. K-State dropped a couple of tough ones yeah. to TCU and Texas, and boy, they're really, now they're on the outside looking in for an NCAA tournament berth. And this weekend, you got Houston at Baylor. It kind of feels like if Houston can win that one on the road, they can go a long way towards uh, wrapping up uh, at least a share of the Big 12. I will say this, though. Iowa State, they have the best schedule left. Yeah. They have a real chance to win out. Yeah, and so in Houston, South to play Kansas. They'll be down in Houston, uh, though, so they'll be heavy favorites. But how do you think this thing's going to shape uh, shape up down the stretch, uh, including Kansas State and whether or not they can get back into uh, the conversation for the tournament? Yeah, I'll start with Houston. Uh, just at the top of the Big Twelve, um, had a chance to be down at the Fertitta Center on Saturday last Saturday when they beat Texas. Um, so took care of business against Texas and. Really wasn't much of a game. I mean, their their defense is off the chart. Like they're super physical, they're aggressive. It's about home court advantage. Home court advantage for sure. That place gets loud too. It's a great venue. Um, I mean, you talk about a school too that is new to the Big Twelve, and they look exactly like I thought they would in terms of being a Big Twelve school, coached by Coach Sampson. Their team reflects Coach Sampson without a doubt. Um, the toughness piece, the like no excuse. Uh, do the dirty work, like the detail around how they operate and how they play. And then they're led by Jamal Shedd, who I think needs to start getting more conversation. I think he is now because he's played so well here over the last two weeks, three weeks. He's the heart and soul of that team. And you listen to Kelvin Sands to talk about Oh, man, that was awesome. And, yeah, right? and I'm, I'm not surprised. I mean, again, to, to the point of your teams want to reflect your coach, but then you have to have a leader. And when your leader is a point guard, that is very – that is Coach Sampson's guy, and he is. It's like you said with Mike just, Anderson finding guys that play the way you want them to play. Absolutely, you got to play a certain way for Kelvin. Absolutely, Sampson. and it's a lot of guys too. I mean, they got L.J. Cryer in the transfer, who's a great shooter. So he had to, but L.J. Cryer, you know, comes from Baylor. Like he's a journeyman. He's a guy that knows his role, does his job. He's an off-ball player, has great feel of how to do things without the ball and play off of Jamal Shed. Not an easy thing to do. Um, they got Joseph Tugler, who's a freshman who comes off the bench and is like an active freshman, long, explosive. Um, their defense is set by Emmanuel Sharp, Jawan Roberts, Damian Dunn. Um, and the thing with this Houston team, they lost Terrence Arsenoaks, who was going to be one of their best players. Um, he's a guy that coming out of high school was like a high-level recruit. He was on a lot of draft boards, you know, even last year, and he really didn't play a lot. And he got, he got hurt, blew out um, his knee, and, and he's done for the season. And they really haven't missed a beat. Their bench gives them good production. I still, the only holdup I have with Houston is there's going to come a game in the tournament where if they don't get enough offense, because Jamal Shedd is kind of having to be more scorer, and he's definitely a facilitator pass first type of point guard. 
and he's been really good as a scorer of late because they just need more offensive punch. Um, it can't just be LJ Cryer. I saw Houston get beat by Kansas and got beat really good. Kansas was excellent in that game at Allen Fieldhouse. Houston, I mean, just got slapped in the mouth. Their defense wasn't that great, and then they couldn't score. And it was LJ Cryer at the end of the game going off, and he finished with 25, 27 points. The game was already over. Um, so that's my only concern is the offensive piece, if they can you – know, they're, they're, they're capable of winning a game 53-47. Iowa State, they're capable of winning a game like that in the tournament because their defense travels. Their defense is that good. And the same thing with Iowa State. I think Houston's in a little better spot than Iowa State because with Iowa State, it's so heavily on Keyshawn, um, Gilbert, and then Tayon Lipsy. Like, those two guys. Mom Silovich, the freshman, he gives them you know, great – ability to kind of stretch and shoot the ball from three and he's got great size but their offense is kind of geared around their defense and those two teams that's what I'm curious to see how they translate this and what they're doing to the NCAA tournament because they're both teams are capable of going on a run but like we just talked about Creighton and UConn Creighton and UConn's offenses are high high level and they got depth and they got a good bench and they're deep they got a rim protector like they got a lot of those pieces, so that's what I'm curious to see about when you kind of when we start talking about comparing conferences and those type of things. Like Kentucky's loaded, <laughs> Tennessee, super physical, great defensive team, one of the best scores in Dalton Neck is going to be SEC Player of the Year who can just take over a game. Like, does Iowa State and Houston have that? That's kind of a question mark. Um, you look at the rest of the Big Twelve too, by the way. Like Kansas is right there again at eight and five, Baylor eight and five. Those two teams are capable of beating anybody. Um, they're also a little bit susceptible, too. Um, it's good to see Kevin McCuller back for Kansas. I don't know how healthy he is. I think that's a question mark, not just through the Big 12, but into March. They have to have him. Um, they're just not deep enough. Like, Kevin has to be on the floor. He had 10-8 and eight, uh, in his first game back against Oklahoma. That's a, that's a good 10-8. and eight. The emergence of Johnny Furphy speaks for itself. Um, he is why I give Kansas a little bit more leeway where they might be able to go on a little bit of a run because Furphy has, has really taken a step forward too. You, what What has happened to KC? They're, I mean, everything's getting bunched up now, but they're a game out of last place I know, now. I know. It's gotten away from them. Yeah. I mean, I look at it this way. I still go back to the fact that, and Kansas could say this too, them losing Naquan Tomlin, that's a huge loss. Like their team oh, would oh, okay, the, fans get hot. You get oh, I, I know. I'm mad about that. I, they, and I, I get it. Like it hasn't been an excuse though. Give them credit. Like they have not allowed that to be any sort of crutch. They've played through that. Um, they need Tyler Perry and Arthur Kaluma to be consistent and efficient the rest of the way. Like those two guys. And I, I, I hate to circle those two guys, but I mean, Cam Carter would be in the same conversation too. Those three guys have to play at a high level consistently every single game, both ends of the floor. And, you know, I think with those three guys, if they're in games, they've, they've lost some tough ones. I, I know that, you know, went and lost to Texas, and you're thinking, man, they, they, did they have chances there? It was an ugly game. But their efficiency and just being consistent, it can sway. And that's kind of why they are where they are. They've won some, obviously it speaks for itself, like they, they've won a lot of overtime games. They've been in crunch time games, close games that they've pulled out, and it's why they were kind of in the picture there for a while. But it's a it's starting to catch up with them a little bit now is the way I feel. And I think it comes back to no Naquan Tomlin. Like I, I think that's uh, – Kansas could say the same thing because Arterio Morris was going to be a huge part of their team. He wasn't going to be a factor like Naquan Tomlin was, but he was going to be a, a starter. And 
you lose him, uh, and you know things things change there with with how their roster um, looked and how their bench looks and who's going to start. And you know, I know they've made the change now where Johnny Furphy's starting on Marco Jackson's coming off the bench, but um, it's tough when you go into a season into October practices into November and you think this is what my team's going to look like. And for Kansas State, thinking Naquan Tomlin's going to come back and we're going to roll. And we're adding a 6'10", versatile, skilled, shooting, rim-protecting, above-the-rim finisher that could really, really make an impact in some of these games, like a game against Houston, like a game against Kansas, where you have more of a size advantage. Um, but the one thing I give Kansas State a ton of credit is they do not quit either. Like, we talked about that with Mizzou and Dennis Gates I think the same thing can be said about Jerome Tang. Like their team doesn't quit, and I, they they're going to compete. They're going to play hard. They're going to have stretches where it looks ugly. And can they can they just get to a place where they're playing efficiently and putting some games together? Then they might have a chance. You know, uh, my final word. If you have any other topics, oh. uh, Rick Pitino thinks his team sucks. <laughs> uh, your thoughts? What did you think of his comments? He didn't hold back. No, Our, I mean I'm not. Are you surprised? I'm not surprised at all. You let him know. Yeah. I mean. How would you feel, though, like if you were a player and you heard your coach say that? That's what I wanted to ask you. Like, would it bother yeah. you or would you just like, oh, that's Patino? But, I mean, still, you, you're, you're, you're in the business of having to go out and try to convince players to yeah. come to St. John's. Recruiting is different. I don't know. that Some people don't care. That's going to turn some kids off. It's going to have to. Well, and it, it comes back to a coach saying that. To me, if I'm in a locker room with the players – to me, it thinks, I mean, end of the day, it's about the players. A good coach would say that. It's about your players. Your players are on the floor. You know, it's like the, the Jimmys and Joes, not X's and O's, but X's and O's matter. Coach matters. But when a coach says that, it comes across as, you know, it's, it, it is your team. You are the head coach, but your players are going to play for you, right? <laughs> your players are the ones that are buying into you. They're buying into your message. They're buying into how you teach, um, how you communicate, trust. Um, and I think sometimes you can lose, especially young players, right? Especially guys in college that there's so many avenues now for them. And you're in, you're, you're, you're in year one. And, yeah. you know, like you're trying to build too. So, yeah. Interest, I, I get coaches get emotional and, and it's after a game and they're fiery and, and they, they're competing, they're, they're comp, you know, competitors themselves. So um, I'm assuming he probably wants to walk back a few of those comments and I'm sure he probably had a conversation with his team behind closed doors because that's not great. Um, right. I mean, imagine a player saying stuff you know, to the media and a coach hearing that. I mean, you know, it's just it's a little bit of a, a two-way street when you talk about players and coaches and just kind of how they conduct themselves and how they talk about themselves. Because you, you, I've read comments, too, of, of some of the St. John's players, like some of their post-game quotes, and it was kind of a reflection of the differences of, you know, what a coach says and what a player says. And players are, you know, defending their teammates and standing up for their teammates and being positive and you can you can lose your not just your team but your program doing something like that. So well, good to talk basketball again, man. It's My good. Held up. It's good. Hey. Yeah, you you sound great. Uh, you know, but you're a pro. That. You're a pro's pro. Thank you to our sponsors again for making it possible. Absolutely, absolutely. You know. Charlie Hustle. You know, get get over to Charlie Hustle. Make sure you get some some swag before the NCAA tournament. Um, and then everybody with David Garrison and CIM. Thank you so much for everything you do. Better get that gear before the Big Twelve tournament because that thing's gonna be. 
wild, and it's going to be wide open. That's going to be awesome. All right, until next time, you know what? Kansas City is for hustlers. <laughs> <laughs>